0: Hello and welcome to Cortez NYC live stream of the podcast this is a bi-weekly show broadcasting out of New York City we are your hosts Cortez NYC
1: and Sala de Puerto Rico
0: and on the show we talk about art creativity city life from a Latino perspective I'm a visual artist
1: and I'm a singer so let's get on with the show.
0: This is episode six, Trust Your Eyes. Uh, our podcast has been expanding and now we're available on different platforms.
1: Yeah, that's right. And we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. So please subscribe, rate us, leave us a review. Uh, a- any feedback is, is appreciated. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram on the Cortes NYC live stream. Um, Instagram is our most active social media platform, so if you have any feedback, just leave a comment under this show's episode.
0: And I want to give a shout out to some of our Instagram followers. We got Pace BT, The Homie from the Bronx, Sonia Gangoli Art, Prox 1 GWB, the other homie, graffiti writers block. It's me Maha, Waste IF, Cute Demetrio, the Lauren Jeans. D-Menace, the homie. What up, homie? I see you. And also a special shout-out to TK and the AM. They are friends of the show. They have a radio show. And thank you guys for all the retweets and reposts on Twitter. Drawing from direct observation. That is the topic of this art talk. Trust in your eyes. So last episode, we, sp- we spoke about drawing from your imagination uh, recollecting stuff from memory, uh, what you do when you're freestyling. This time, I want to focus on another thing that you have to practice as a as a visual artist is, which is drawing from direct observation. Um, what are the reasons why we do it? I think for me, one of the my personal reasons for doing it is uh, to test my perception. Um, sometimes we get lazy, you know. Like it's almost like if you're constantly saying. If you're constantly drawing from your imagination, you're, it's like you're constantly using slang words. Um, you're constantly using the same words over and over again. Uh, when you draw from direct observation, you're actually forcing yourself to break old habits. You're forcing yourself to look and to test your perception of what you're seeing in front of you. Um, you're learning, if I'm going to continue to use the metaphor, the, the, the word metaphor, you're learning new words or expanding your vocabulary. Uh, of the way you see things right so uh, if you sit down let's say and let's let's speak specifically about a figure drawing class right you have a model in front of you you have a piece of paper and a pencil and you're just drawing the model in front of you Um, what are you supposed to be looking at right when you when you're looking at the model you're really supposed to be first choosing your angle you're supposed to be saying where do I want to sit in the room right do I want to sit below the model do I want to sit above the model to the side to the left to the right um these decisions usually you don't they don't come into your mind right away when you're drawing from imagination but if you're drawing from direct observation these are the kind of choices that initially will bring you into the drawing it brings you into the subject right where do you want to be in relation to your subject so that's the first thing you're going to do next thing you're going to do is you're going to you're going to Start to look at the at the model and get past the fact that it's a human being, and you're going to try to just look at the person, and what composes the person, what makes the person, the the image that's in front of you. Um, it's not just a face, you know. It's not just arms. It's everything. It's you're looking at the shadows. You're looking at the highlights. Um, yes, you're you're sketching and you're studying anatomy because you want to study what what's the muscle texture what's the fatty tissue what's the bone structure what's the weight you know what's the length what's the arm distance from the from the shoulder to the you know to the uh to the person's uh, legs upper legs like what is the distance you're trying to measure these things out but at the same time you're looking at things that have nothing to do with a human body you're looking at the objects the shadows the angles the contours you know, you're looking at all these other things. As you're looking at these things, you're developing a vocabulary. You're you're playing with abstract ideas. You're taking the thing that's in front of you, the person that's in front of you. And I said thing and that that's the way you're supposed to be looking at it. You're, you're turning that person and that image into its components. You're deconstructing what the model is in front of you and what all the lighting and all the atmosphere is. Um, and, and that's your, your initial thing, right, is that you have to start to look at the, the compositional elements that are in front of you and break those things down. Um, and that's something that you don't usually do when you're drawing from imagination, because if you're drawing from imagination, you're drawing a butterfly or you're drawing something that's safe, that's familiar to you. You see, if you listen to the previous episode, episode five, you would remember that I had a long conversation about how... When you're drawing from your imagination, you're pulling from things that are safely stored in your mind, from things that you can recollect easily. That's usually what you draw from your imagination. When you're drawing from direct observation and you're using your eyes, you are taking in new information. And sometimes information that you might think you already know, like you might be drawing somebody standing in front of you and then you suddenly start seeing their sneakers and their sneakers don't look like sneakers anymore you're just starting to see the shapes and the curves of the shoe and how it relates to the person's body. If that shoe, let's say, is behind something else, let's say the shoe is behind a vase, right? Now you're looking at the vase and you're saying, now that vase and that shoe are interconnecting on my paper. As I'm looking at it from my angle, the vase is very big and the shoe's very small behind it or something. That's something that you would never do if you were drawn from your imagination. So the interconnectivity between the objects, the overlapping of objects um, and shapes, and the deconstructing of the people or the objects that are in front of you, whether it's a still life or a model, the deconstruction of those, of that visual into its components. That's what, own, what you can only get from direct observation. You know, you, you start to become more abstract in your thinking as you're looking with your, your eyes, you know, at what's in front of you. So I, I talked a little bit about measuring, you know, distance and size, right? Another thing that you do when you're drawing from direct observation is measuring, a lot of measuring. Consider yourself the king of measuring when you're drawing from direct. Your, your, your eyes are like a ruler and you're, you're just, that's what you should be doing. You should be looking at the distances between the shoulders to the leg the distance between even something that's behind the person let's say a window that's behind the person and you're looking at the size of that window and you're looking at the person in front of the window and you're making measurement calls between those two things that's something that that you only do in direct observation and that's something that will help you later on you know when you go to do other you know pieces of art you know it'll, it'll help you um, so measuring distance your distance from the distance between you and the, and the model as well. The size of the model, the size of the objects in front of you. Um, you're looking also at the form of the subject, right? You're, you're looking at the person and you're saying, well, how is this person standing? Is this person laying down? That's already two different shapes the the, the entire person. It becomes two different forms altogether. Um, if, if the person is laying down, the form that you're seeing is more of a, of a horizontal shape. It's gonna look a little more like a landscape and you might not see that person anymore like a person. The person laying down might seem more like a, a mountainside or, or you know, a skyline, let's say, you know depending if the person's arms are, are up or if their legs are up. These are things that you should be looking at when you're drawing from direct observation. Um, how the the general shape of the person or if it's a still life of the objects, the general shape of the objects, the general shape of the person. And that's going to teach you composition. And that's something that you can use as a a, vocabulary tool later on when you're going to draw other things, knowing composition, how do you learn composition? You learn it from drawing, from direct observation. Everything in life has a composition. Believe it or not. Well, that what yeah you know interior designers they use the phrase feng shui, I think it's feng shui or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a Japanese it's a Japanese expression for you know laying things out in your room. You know w- when you're laying out your composition and you're looking at the person sitting there and what's behind them, what are they sitting on? Are they in a chair? Are they laying down on a bed? Are they laying down on a mattress? Are they laying down on the floor? All these things are the part of your composition and composing your drawing, you begin to learn design. You can take this into graphic design as well later on if you explore graphic design. Learning composition and, the, and arranging the objects in your composition, you know, once you are just picking an angle to sit at to draw these people or to draw the objects, you are beginning to do design, you're designing it, you're designing which is the angle you want to draw at, and you're picking and choosing what is going to be in your drawing. Um, if you don't like a certain thing that's in, in the layout in front of you, let's say if the person's sitting next to a guitar and you don't want to draw that guitar, well, you're going to pick an angle where you don't have to draw that guitar, right? So right that you made a conscious choice as to your composition. Um, you should be like a photographer, photographers do this. Um, you should be choosing your angle so that you can compose your visual, right? but this time your visual is on your paper um think i i mean carla i'm I'm going on but like what do you think about when you when you see or have you heard of or if you've heard of you know figure drawing and all that have you thought of these things or are these things that are
1: no these are completely new to me (laughs) uh since i met you is that is when i started really seeing a little bit more in detail of how it's happening and how is it that it happens? That it doesn't have to be a perfect, um, a perfect drawing, at the at the first attempt. At first attempt, when you're trying something new, when you're looking at something, it doesn't have to be perfect.
0: Yeah, I think I think another thing that people um, should know when you're drawing from direct observation is, you are not creating a beautiful piece of art the way Carla said, right? You're not creating a beautiful piece of art. Um, That's illustration, you know, illustration or commercial art. You know, if you're making a final piece of illustration or a beautiful painting, that's when you can get into like something perfect and slick. Right. When you're drawing from reality, you're drawing from direct observation, you're using your eyes and you're drawing what's in front of you. Okay, Reality is not beautiful. If reality is beautiful, you're I think you're lying. (laughs) I think you're kind of glossing over some of the details that make it reality. You know, your model, as beautiful as she or he might be, is gonna have a little fat, is gonna have a little bit of wrinkles, is gonna have a little bit of a posture that is not so attractive. Um, They're not gonna be super buff, they're not gonna be the perfect physique. Um, Also, your model or subject matter might be a little older, might be, uh, you know, their, their features might not be the most attractive features, right? but it's not your job to make them attractive. It's your job to just document the shapes and the angles that you see. That's reality. You're documenting reality. When you're drawing from direct observation, you're documenting, okay? When you're, if, you ever, if you guys have ever watched a documentary, documentaries usually reveal things that we don't always pay attention to. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're watching a movie like right now, we have a movie in the background and it's (laughs) gladiators and it's amazing special effects. Yeah, a movie is amazing and, and it's fantasy and it tells you a story when you're documenting or you're drawing from reality. You are going to trust your eyes, even if the truth is a little bit ugly, even if it's a little ugly and you shouldn't be afraid to offend. That's another hurdle to overcome another obstacle as an artist is that you have to own it. You know, if I'm drawing, let's say if I'm drawing uh, a friend of mine, you know, let's say it's a female and I'm drawing a friend of mine and she says, oh, draw me. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to draw you. And I'm drawing her portrait. If the portrait is not that flattering, you know, you don't want to be insulting. But at the same time, if it's not that flattering, you know, you have to own it. You have to say, well, that's what I tried to do. And a lot of times, and I'm going to tell you, 99% of the times the subject, if they see your drawing, is not going to be happy with your you're drawing. They're going to have some inside feeling. Because they see themselves a certain way and they're going to have a perspective of what they think the drawing would look like. And when they see it, don't be surprised if they're not that thrilled. You know, they might say nice drawing, but the inside they might be like, well, I'm not sure if that looks like what I look like. It, it's not. It's the way they look like to you. It's you documenting. OK.
1: And another thing is that maybe people, uh, some artists out there, they don't have. Uh, a place to go for this uh, figure drawing or figure um, drawing from observation exercise? Can they do this maybe in a museum? If they go right. in a museum and just sit down and and draw something that they see
0: there? Right. I, I mean, direct observation can can be go to the park, draw the people in the park mm-hmm. If you see somebody sitting still for a while or just draw the park itself the landscape, the landscape. And, mm-hmm. or one of the my favorite things is to go to a, mu- to a museum I visit many museums throughout the city I I, I look on weekends now because I've seen all the museums practically I look for museums that obscure museums that I've never heard of museums that are maybe um more related to cultural artifacts, you know, like older things or, or subject matters. Like we went to the uh, transit museum, for mm-hmm. example, and I and I sketched the interiors of the uh, of the old trains. Yeah. Um, the Native American museum downtown. You know, you, you start to s- sketch. They have amazing, great artifacts and all these little maquettes and and little uh, architectural pieces that they, they they try to display the old civilizations. Um, but yeah, it can be, it doesn't have to be a figure, you know, it doesn't have to be a live figure. It can also be things like that. That can also e- help to exercise your observational skills. Um, back to the idea of drawing what your reality should be. Um, I'm gonna throw some keywords at you, okay? So <laughs> I- illustration, right? So we said illustration sh- illustration, and, and that kind of thing can be slick, you know, commercial art can be slick, supposed to sell right so think about all the commercial and advertisement that you see you, they never show anything that's not slick or smooth or beautiful that's true you know what i mean advertisement if you if you're going through magazines let's say and you want to draw from figures from magazines let's say uh, a catalog or something you're gonna end up drawing models models are chosen because they're slick and they have certain angles and certain they give a certain impression mm-hmm. and their photos are photo retouched and everything is perfectly lit When you're drawing from direct observation, okay, when you're drawing your reality, your drawings, they're gonna be a little ugly. They're gonna be loose, okay? These are key words you should remember as you're drawing from direct observation. Loose, ugly, anxious, okay? This is something sometimes you guys don't think about a lot of artists, especially beginners. Maybe some of you guys, I'm not sure, but I'm sure I have some beginners that are listening to us. When When you first start to draw from direct observation especially, your drawings are gonna be anxious. So what do I mean by an anxious drawing? I mean that they're gonna have squiggly lines. They're gonna be nervous looking. They're not gonna be as as confident. Your lines won't be secure. They're not gonna be clean like a comic book illustration. Clean, slick lines. They're gonna be anxious. The lines are gonna be a little crooked. They're gonna be a little wobbly, okay? That's okay. That That is what makes it feel real. Mm-hmm. You know, the human figure is not a dead figure. It's not going to be sitting there still. You, as the observer, are not sitting still. Mm -hmm. As as still as you think you're being, when you're drawing, you're actually moving around a little bit. So that also gives a wiggle to your drawing. It's okay. Okay. Uh, Your drawing, drawing reality, documentation of reality, should be a little edgy. It should have your voice. You know, your your personal expression with your hands your your signature style of holding a pen that should be present if it's not present you're doing something wrong you're faking it i I used to have a teacher this is a a funny story but i used to when i was in college i had uh i was i was in a painting class and the teacher was straight out of like a samurai movie he was like he was He was American, but he was just his attitude was like straight out of like some samurai discipline kind of thing. And he was teaching us to paint and we were painting still lives and he would walk around and he literally if he saw that you were kind of faking it and you were, you weren't putting your, your you weren't really looking at what was in front of you, he would ask you. he would be like, well what color is that that you're painting there?" And, and let's say the thing that they were supposed to be painting was like like a, a pale red but you started using like a, a red straight out of the tube. So it was bright red, like a like a red lipstick, but, but it's not. It's supposed to have been pale and it's like a soft, natural red. He would see that and he would be like, well, is that the color? And if you started saying, yeah, yeah, no, that's it's red. And he was say, like, no, it's not. And he would wipe out, he would wipe with turpentine, he would wipe your whole canvas. Uh-huh. Just buff it clean and tell you to do it again.
1: Wow. If
0: you started sketching in your paint and you started kind of doing the figure and you kind of made the person... You kind of started doing like eyes first, and then the mouth. Instead of doing the whole figure, you started doing like the eyeballs, and then like the ears, and and then the hair. He would walk over to you and be like, "What about the rest of the figure?" And you would be like, "Uh," and then he would wipe your whole thing clean.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, this was this was the kind of. Uh, I mean, but that tough tough love, exactly. you know. What I mean? It's kind of like a way of teaching to tell you, we see what you're doing. We all are watching you as you're doing what you're doing.
1: And that's important because yeah. sometimes artists, they don't have that uh, a mentor person in their lives to be like, hey, this is the way you should do it. And I don't care how many times you have to do it or do it right.
0: Or, or I mean, I think there's a, it's a good sentence you said right there. This is the way you should do it. I don't think he was saying this is the way you should do it. I think he was saying you're doing it wrong. Mm. Try again. Yeah. I think that was it. He, because he didn't okay, literally, okay. he didn't, he didn't tell us exactly what to do. He just kept telling us all the this shit we is were doing not wrong. <laughs>
1: exactly. This is you're, not the way you're supposed to be
0: doing you're it. You're faking it. Yeah. Okay. And he would basically tell us, you're faking it. You're so faking it. So basically,
1: it wasn't for, he wasn't looking for the perfect no. drawing. He was looking for your drawing.
0: Exactly. And that, that's another part of drawing from observation or, or painting from observation is a ball. If you're, let's say if you're, painting a ball right let's say a soccer ball a soccer ball if i told you soccer ball and you close your eyes if you draw it from your imagination you oh, i know that you already know what to draw mm-hmm. it's the the octagon shape pattern it's a big old circle with the little ch- boxy shapes inside right and it's black and white black and white mm-hmm. exactly that's a cartoon that's from your imagination mm-hmm. and the teacher art teachers fine art teachers struggle to teach people to stop doing that because what happens and now we're going to go into a little slightly different subject, but still the same related. Um, What happens is that in our educational system, we're trained from elementary school forward, you know, kindergarten and up to recognize objects and drawings on a two dimensional plane. So we're taught that boy means this and this cartoon means girl and this cartoon means ball and this is how you see a car and an apple looks like this, and an apple is red. Mm-hmm. You In know, corners, so man. yeah. So you're you're trained from an elementary level, this vocabulary of shortcuts of what a person looks like. They teach you to draw faces. All right. This is a face. You make a circle, you put an eyeball, you put another eyeball. You should always have two eyeballs. If you don't want, if you don't have two eyeballs, it's not a face. Yeah. You draw a straight <laughs> line and that's a mouth. You know, and because when you want to become a, a professional artist or you want to, or not perfect, let's say if you want to explore your art a little more deeply, mm-hmm. you need to break that short, that, that short, that small vocabulary of visuals, that iconography, that cartoonism, you need to break through that. And the, and the best way to break through that is to draw from direct observation because now you're looking at the world again. They're teaching you to look at the world again. And you're not looking at a face with two eyeballs and a mouth. You're looking at the side of a face or three quarters of a face. And this face is not the face you've been drawing your whole life. This is the face that's in front of you. And that face is not F-A-C-E, face, the way you spell it out, face. It's not the cartoon of a face. It is a bunch of shapes under shadow with a certain lighting, with a certain facial hair and and a certain skin texture and and a certain expression because the person every human being has a certain expression on their face they're trying to break through and trying to make you acknowledge those elements of that person in front of you and they can see it an art teacher a good art teacher or in general art teachers should be able to see and, and, and see what you're drawing and say you know what you're drawing a cartoon you're not drawing what's in front of you you're not really looking I can tell you're not really looking you know Or you're focusing too much on that eyeball. Why? What is it? Why are you trying to make a perfect eyeball? It's not (laughs) about the eyeball. It's about the whole person in a room. All right. So breaking through the vocabulary is important. Creating new words to describe the the, uh, objects in front of you, the people in front of you. That's what you go to art school for. And that's what you don't have to go to art school for, but that's what you draw from direct observation for. Um, Another element that is part of drawing from direct observation is when you're gonna draw a person in front of you or, or, a, or a, if you're studying a sculpture or you're studying an object, let's say a pair of shoes or something, and it's in front of you and drawing it, draw the object within its space. Don't ignore the space that it's in. Meaning if it's on the floor, indicate to me on your drawing that it's on a floor somehow, whether it's a drop shadow on the floor or the texture of the floor or the pattern that the floor has. Um, If it's on the top of a table, draw the table as well and give me a little bit of what's behind the object. If you're drawing a person standing in a room, draw the person in the room and draw some of the stuff behind the person in the room or what what is the person leaning on? What are the objects in front of the person? Something that I like to do is, is um, if I'm drawing people in a, in a room, let's say in a, in a museum and I'm drawing the people sitting there, I like to draw the, cl- the thing that's closest to me, the thing that's in the middle, the things in the, in the far background. I like to draw the subject surrounded by its environment. This is something that I remember teachers used to tell me a lot. They used to say, um, don't ignore that space because uh, the subject without an environment to be in is, is just a study it's just a floating object in, in, with no space, you know. Put that, put that object into a reality. Even if it's just one little line that indicates a horizon line, that's already a space, you know. The, the minimum that you should do is a horizontal line across the center of the page to indicate a horizon line. And that already tells me that it's in an, in an environment. I see the floor and I see the sky. You know, I see the ground and the sky. That's the minimum. But if you look at, you know, when you're drawing... Let's say a person sitting on a chair and you look at what's around them and you just give some indication of the chair, the, the, the wall, you know, uh, what the person is leaning on. In the future, when you look back at that drawing, you're, it, that drawing is going to be so much more vivid to you. That's what's going to make that drawing come to life. And in the future, when you look back, I have many drawings that I have like that, where I look back and I say, wow, look look at that. Um, the this, I remember where I was when I drew that. I remember that it had, you know, that I was sitting in that room where I was sitting at that park. You know what I mean? That adds to your vocabulary, not just of the shapes that you're drawing and the person you're drawing, but also of the place that you were, and it helps document. Um, If you're reading a good book, the book is always going to describe the environment, right? The time, the place. Well, that's what your sketches should be like as well. They should should describe some of that. well, I think we covered a lot, Carla.
1: Very interesting to listen to all these little details of what it is to draw from direct observation.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, our listeners, I'm sure we have many artists that are listening. But, you know, some of you who haven't tried drawing from direct observation, you know, take on the challenge. Try it. Um, maybe share with us experiences that you've had or suggestions that you have for drawing from direct observation.
1: Definitely, like always, just hashtag CortesNYC livestream on your post if you want us to take a look at it or you can just add us um, as a comment on your post and just share, share everything. Yep. (laughs)
0: All right, so now we're going to move over from trusting your eyes, the subject of trusting your eyes, to trusting your feet. Because <laughs> these hips don't lie. They Carla, don't. What's the subject?
1: So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about dancing to Spanish music and um, overall also dancing. How, how important is it for the Latino culture? True. And, well, I want to start by explaining that dancing is part of, I think, any Latino household in, in the United States. Because I think dancing is something that is, um, is th- our family teaches us how to dance since we're little, and music is, is a big part of, of our traditions. So everything that has to be related to music, to movement, to... Rhythm. S- to rhythm also. Rhythm is,
0: is very important in, in... I mean, you know, we don't, we're not saying that you have to be professional salsa dancers and, and bacheteros and whatever, you know what I mean? Or rumba dancers and ballroom dancers. But but you're, there's a rhythm to the family. There's a rhythm to how they speak, how mm-hmm. they communicate with each other. Um, there's a rhythm even in, in just doing chores You know That's a cliche I know in in Latino movies Where they show You know The the mom Or the grandma Mm -hmm. Or whoever Cleaning up And they're like Mm -hmm. Dancing While cleaning the house
1: But that's actually Something real (laughs) Like (laughs) I I don't know why But it makes us um, Move Better Feel better While we're doing chores To Just have Some music In the background Some people
0: might say Latinos do it with style Yeah (laughs) can't do anything without doing it with style right you gotta do it a little bit of a style yeah and it's just the rhythm it's just a rhythm of how we try to approach things
1: yeah so we were talking about rhythm and that's what dancing is all about about rhythm Um, So a little bit about how I got into dancing, I'm not a professional dancer but I do enjoy uh, dancing and when I go out with my friends it's a part, it's something that we like to do, we like to dance, we like to move, to express ourselves, so this is something that I got uh, in my family, my family is big in music and when we were little with my cousins we were a lot of um, girls in the house so um, we were dance, and we, they would teach us merengue and salsa and bachata a little bit too. So it was something that it, I think that our parents were um, teaching us just like to say, Oh my God, mira que linda, mira que linda como baila.
0: <laughs> how, cute uh, how cute you are dancing, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: But at the same time, I think that because they saw it as, as part of what they're, Uh, where they came from Um, they wanted to transmit that to us and then after having that experience in our families then we go to school and going to school in puerto rico means that you have a lot of activities and a lot of cultural activities that had to do with dancing there you go so anything that we had let's say since we're very very little um, in Christmas, and also there's a week I think it's in November or October where they celebrate um, uh, the Puerto Rican, a uh, feeling Puerto Rican. Basically, it's like the week for Puerto Rico, and they will have different activities where different groups um, they will represent. Let's say this group is gonna represent the. Countryside, and this group is gonna represent the city side, and this group is gonna represent um, the dances from before from the Spaniard time. So we had all these activities. We were always um, do our choreographies, um, how our, our our dresses depending on what we were dancing. So you were we
0: doing, you're doing folkloric dance, like for that no because cultural it, cultural cultural more community kind of events. And yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: it okay. was like a family. It was like for a family day gotcha so on that family day every group will dance either a danza or plena or bomba and and that was something that we grew up with and then also on the field days because i'm not i was never into sports so on the field days what i would do is dance and we would do our little dances and we would compete with each other compete with the other groups and the dance was the most important thing so oh we were practicing god. every single day I after could school imagine
0: a little calita there oh my god i have to do my dances
1: yeah I have to practice. yeah uh, we were practicing <laughs> we were practicing everything if we were going to act we have to act we were going the the outfits uh-huh. we were figuring out all the outfits everything had to be perfect for the field days so I think that all these um, experiences help us to understand why dancing is so important in at least in the Puerto Rican culture, but also in the Latino culture in general. Well, I,
0: I would I would add to um, to my grown, to this to that to that age level, I would say my story at that age level um, was uh, in Colombia. I was, I, I was some, I think I was like in fourth grade or something. And I had cousins in Colombia. I had gone to Colombia. I was living there for a year. And um, basically my aunts, you know, any, any party or, you know, any kind of like, even if it was a small family party or a small family ga- gathering, you, you would end up putting music on and people would start dancing. Yeah. And dancing for, for them, you know, wasn't, even though there was Back then there was rock and rap and that kind of stuff and disco and, and that kind of music and pop music. But the the idea of dancing was that you you would take a you would create pairs. You would create you would take a, a little boy, or a little girl, get together and dance. Yeah, yeah. And they would teach you one how to lead the other and and you know I mean, all gender role concepts aside, all of that gender kinda of issues aside. Um, just the act of pairing up and coordinating with a partner. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that is still valuable and, and still valid yeah. um, in, in that experience that they would they would force you to coordinate with somebody hands-on, you know.
1: Actually, that just reminded me that in my school we also had like a dance marathon.
0: Wow.
1: So this was a night that you had to have a partner. So sometimes they'll do like, okay, you, uh, this girl and this boy, you just have to participate. Just do it. It doesn't matter. Blah, blah. So like you said, it will be a pair. And because it is what it is, it, it was uh, the boy and the girl. Right. And I remember that once my aunt, my, my aunt, my cousin and my uncle participated and they won. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, that's how you see also how dancing is so important yeah. in our cultures. Yeah. So, going a little bit into.
0: Well, I mean, before I, we move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, so, I remember, I just wanted to r- share this memory. I remember uh, dancing with my cousins. I remember the first music that I learned to dance with was uh, ballenatos. Which is like a old style and, and I don't know why my grandmother played so much Joropo, which is a type of Colombian uh, music. It's it's Colombian but it's also like it stems from further south, I think from the the border with uh, with Venezuela. Um and, you know, so they would they I didn't I was I was born in the United States and I was in Colombia and I was learning to dance ballenatos with my cousin and, and you know, kinda of like a slow dancing, but like also It's got a little rhythm to it. And then cumbias and things like that. And then a little bit of uh, merengue and a little bit of salsa. And it's funny. I remember it that being uh, me being so little and not being shy and like being taught to not be shy, to break that ice and not be afraid to like express yourself, but also to hold a partner and dance with a partner and coordinate with a partner and not to be embarrassed. I mean, if you were embarrassed, they would tease you until you would stop being embarrassed, you know, um, but I remember learning these these steps and these rhythmic steps and all this. And it was a normal thing that when later on, as I got older, it was weird. When I came back to the United States and I started seeing that in junior high school, people were so shy to mm-hmm. dance. Mm-hmm. And they were shy to dance American pop music where you're not even <laughs> holding each other. Yeah. And they were shy to ask somebody to dance. And I was like, really? Yeah. I, I didn't understand it. That was like a real, I, I didn't speak out about it. But I just remember it being a weird thing that made me feel like, Made me feel a little bit like an outsider, but it made them look strange as well. Um, then, you know, I remember later on in life learning about dance lessons. People actually paying money to learn to dance. And people being surprised that I knew how to dance salsa or merengue or cumbias or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the, the, you really understand that it's a cultural thing.
1: That's you know? actually real. And thinking about that, um it is true that we are not afraid to dancing with each other I remember also growing up when we were going to, to let's say uh, birthday parties or anything like that or we had like a little prom for junior high kind of um, we were not afraid we were enjoying the whole night because we knew each other already but not only that but we were used to dancing like oh it's just dancing and we can dance with whomever it doesn't matter yeah going into the different styles that we have in Latino dancing um, I want to start with merengue which is the, I feel like it's the most simple one um, it's just two step, two steps and move your hips I, th- um, I think that's
0: one of the most basic ones that everybody basic ones, yeah, right?
1: yeah. but you really have to feel the rhythm you cannot be <laughs> just moving the, your feet one, two, one, two and that's it
0: that's true, I I've seen that yeah, me too
1: <laughs> So I think that's something to to be careful with. True. Just try to listen to, to the drums. Try to listen to the, mel- not the melody, but the rhythm of the song. Yeah. And then maybe try to feel a little bit of that. And it might be, you might look better than just moving <laughs> your feet. One, two, one, two. It's not just that um well i mean
0: it's hips it's hips it's thighs also that's another part of exactly exactly if you're not doing hips thighs uh then yeah you're not doing it and shoulders it's
1: it's your whole body
0: yeah you gotta move your whole body i'm sorry (laughs) all right i'm sorry next next
1: one next one will be salsa salsa i actually started i took some classes back in school what you
0: didn't tell me that
1: yeah, I took some classes back in school and and in any summer camp that you are or when you start right growing up, you want to learn a little bit more because salsa it is a little bit more complicated. Um salsa, you have then the number of the steps are three, five, six, two. One and one more number. Bingo! Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> it's like a lottery number.
1: Is <laughs> It is. And then it is a little bit more complicated also because while you're doing these steps, your partner is doing the opposite. So you really have to know how, if you're a female, how will you be dancing with somebody that is going to lead you, even though it can be whomever, but you need to know that part. You also need to know the... Other part. Once you you take a little, you know a little bit about the basic steps. I think it's a little bit easier for you to do to just um lose your hips and then lose your arms and your um
0: shoulders. Shoulders. Yeah. I think I think one of my tips for salsa is uh baselines. I like to I like to follow the baseline. I think it's an easy way to get into the rhythm. If you find you know, sometimes Americans hear the salsa and they just hear all these instruments going on. They, they, I can imagine that they hear like drums and timbales and, mm-hmm. and congas yeah, and yeah. everything. And then they it hear long, violins but... and guitars and, and they hear all this and the guy singing and the chorus.
1: Like, I don't know what to do. With I don't know this. what to
0: follow. Right. <laughs> but um no, I think the bass, the bass line is one really good cue into where your your feet should be and what steps should t- to take. And another another thing that I would recommend is when you dancing salsa remember that there's always an in-between shuffle and in-between slide so you have that one two three four like that little in between that little that's the part that you have to kind of get used to because that's not american american is you know one two three you know what i mean like it's very yeah i just
1: i just remember the numbers
0: (laughs) oh boy Carla. so
1: it's one two three five six seven so the four is the one that you're oh, stopping in the middle okay. all right so it's one two three five six seven and four you're supposed to be stopping in the middle all
0: right uh ladies and gentlemen you could find this on youtube <laughs> go look for <laughs> how to exactly. dance salsa i'm sure there's a video for that will beginners help, that will explain <laughs> this a lot better than us just telling I know, you on, exactly all right next next
1: one next one um so next one will be bachata uh i love bachata oh do you You've yeah. never said it. No, I never said it before. Um, but bachata, I feel like it's, sim- it's simple to dance, but at the same time, you do have to have the rhythm on your hips because it's a lot of hips. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter the steps that you do because the specific number of steps, but it is a lot of, of movement of your hips, movement of your arm, and it's a little bit sensual.
0: Uh, yeah they're all sensual merengue can be a little bit sensual salsa can be a little bit sensual but what makes bachata unique is that it's the left right motion uh you're going left you're going you know you got that one two little little a little a little emphasis at the end and then back back emphasis at the end back back emphasis so that little emphasis is different than salsa where it's like slide over bump Slide over, bam. Mm-hmm. Slide over, bam. You know what I mean? That's a that's a difference, but yes, bachata has its its uh, technical dance also, right? I, we, it's very yeah. popular now.
1: Yeah, now everybody wants to learn how to dance bachata. It's, it's getting very popular now.
0: On another level, on a competitive level. On a
1: com- yeah, but that's a that's the thing. Um, the sensual part of bachata, I felt that it was more. Because you're dancing with your partner in the dance room, in the club, or whatever. Now they're taking that sensual step to the competitive level. That now when you look up bachata dancing or competitions of that bachata, you see all those sensual steps on that level. Which I don't know if it's true or not. So, continuing with other styles, I think we can get into reggaeton. Uh, Which um, perreo? El perreo.
0: El perreo.
1: So it's basically d- uh, um, uh,
0: grinding. Uh, that's very that's American. Yeah, booty grinding, bumping and grinding.
1: Okay, so bumping and working. <laughs> it's twerking. It's, it's moving grinding, your hips. Yeah. It's moving your booty. Um, it's dancing with the other um person but it's 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 there's nothing um so technical like the salsa or merengue you're just just putting your bodies together well, and
0: yeah i would say that the only thing to remember about reggaeton if you're if you're listening to reggaeton that's really reggae based is that you know you're swaying with the rhythm like don't don't forget about that part of it oh
1: yeah definitely you know what I, mean? I mean you have yeah, yeah, yeah. a little
0: more hip-hop and like pop locking and they're 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 twerking and popping but if you think about reggaeton that's a little more swaying and reggae style like that that's mm-hmm. where you kind of get into the more the baseline mm-hmm. the groove of it you know
1: and then we do have other more serious not serious but a little bit it is a little bit more technical kind of dances which is tango
0: which is more ballroom dancing
1: more ballroom dancing yeah,
0: yeah. traditional old ballroom dancing
1: yeah, so tango is an example of this. Um, we actually took some classes back in the summer, and it was really fun and interesting to see the similarities between the the rhythms and the styles that we already know with tango, and also to see how <laughs> they make it seem so easy. When you look at the Anacopo uh, dancing tango, you don't see all the little yeah. steps that they're making in order for them to, to synchronize to synchronize yeah,
0: yeah that's true
1: so uh, that was another uh, dance style that I would like to explore a little bit
0: more too you wanted me to teach you right ahora si sí, hablando español
1: hablando hablando
0: and I want to give a shout out first and foremost to our listeners out in Sweden hello see you guys. Un abrazo bien grande para ustedes, escuchándonos desde allá.
1: Yeah, and also we want to give a shout out to everyone that has participated in our Hablando Español poll from episode five. Esfero. We are still taking your votes. (laughs) How do you say it in Spanish? How do you say pen in Spanish? Bolígrafo or esfero?
0: Esfero, we know it's esfero. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Look for our poll on our Facebook page and just click on the right answer, which is bolígrafo. You already know.
0: All right, but thank you all for participating in that and we're still taking votes. Yeah. So now, Carla, what do you have for us this week? What is our Hablando Español this week?
1: Well, this week we have a lot of words. All right, so let's get So finished. let's go through it. So, figuras.
0: Figures. Yes. Figuras.
1: Observación.
0: Observation. Observacion.
1: Yeah, correct. Thank you. Mirar.
0: (laughs) Mirar. Mirar, look, is mirar, look.
1: Mm -hmm. Admirar.
0: Ooh. Admirar is to admire.
1: Wow, nice. Admirar. Yes. Sombras.
0: Sombras is shadows. Yeah. Sombras.
1: Sombras. Forma.
0: Wow, you're really picking at the design words, huh? I like that. I like that. Have to, have to. All right, so what was it again? Formas. Formas. Formas would be shape or shapes.
1: We want our artists to be bilingual.
0: That's true. That's true. Tamaño. Tamaño, wow. Tamaño is size. So if some lady asks you, ¿Qué tamaño eres? It's, what size are you? (laughs) <laughs> obviously yeah, talking about your shoes or yeah. your pants or yeah. your jacket right? of
1: course you want to know the the size of your shoes okay. of course espacio
0: espacio espacio is space space I mean you could say espacio in the sense of the, the room el espacio dentro el, that's the espacio that yeah, I mean yeah like el cuarto el espacio so the space
1: mm-hmm. percepción
0: percepción perception yes perception percepción
1: Proporción
0: Oh, that's a good one That's a very good one Proporción Proportion Yes Proporción
1: Yes uh, Baile
0: Baile Now we're moving on to your culture talk Baile is dance Baile yes. uh, Oh, wait, but hold on All right, but Baile, this is important Now of
1: I'm gonna say Alright, go Another one I don't know if this is what you're gonna another say Another
0: version of baile Yeah Okay, go ahead Danza No, I was gonna say bailar no, so, before but, we move on to dance, okay, okay. okay. So, baile is dance. Baile.
1: Baile is dance.
0: Bailar is to dance.
1: Exactly. So, yes. if somebody
0: asks you, quieres bailar? You don't say, quieres baile. No, 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 no. You say, quieres bailar. Quieres bailar. Quiere bailar. quieres bailar. Quieres bailar. Would you like to dance? Quieres bailar.
1: Whenever you see uh, an. Well, no, whenever, but the majority of the cases, when you see a vowel and an R at the end, that means the verb being used
0: gotcha, like caminar, caminar, cocinar, cocinar it's like to do, correr, it's to run, Mm -hmm. to do, to do the thing yeah so cor, correr, correr, cocinar okay Mm -hmm. pintar, pintar, pintando, pintando,
1: pintando or pintar, it's it's Ah, different ah, terms no 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 because it's different It's, it's, it's Right. Yeah, so, we'll we'll talk about this in another episode. In a more
0: advanced episode. Yeah,
1: um, another word is pasos.
0: Pasos, pasos is steps.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah, I never thought of that. That's a good. One. You're picking some good ones, Miss. Wow, that's because Greed is not here.
1: <laughs> Who'll be here that's telling me like, eh, and what does it mean? <laughs> eh. right. Okay, tradición.
0: Tradición is traditions
1: And let's see if you know this one This is the last one
0: The last one? Not yet I might throw some in there for you Just to stump you a little bit Well the
1: last one that I have Dia de Juegos
0: Dia de Juegos What is that? Day of Games? I don't know Dia de Juegos Field Day Field Day is Dia de Juegos? Yeah Really? That's how you guys use it? Yeah this is in Puerto Rico. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Field day. Field day. Dia de Juegos. Dia de Juegos. I didn't even think about that. Like, how would you say field day? Because it's we always... Dia, it's not dia de, de... Bueno, field day is kind of like you're a day out in the field.
1: Uh-huh. So it's like but, a
0: retreat. It's like a, it's like a... But
1: for us, yeah. it, it was a lot of sports and games and stuff like that. So I guess the translation that they use was Dia de Juegos. Because every time we had like a little teacher And he would say Dia de Juegos
0: Wow Yeah
1: okay. So what other word do you have? Oh you have I have too words? many words Oh <laughs> I'm ready
0: <laughs> Alright well in order to dance Right we were saying that in order to dance You need a partner How do you say partner in Spanish? Pareja Pareja, Pareja. Yeah
1: Pareja de baile
0: Yeah so your partner, your dance partner, is your pareja. hmm Okay. Uh, also, uh, we were talking about dancing, right? Yeah. And to dance, you need to have rhythm. How do you say rhythm? Ritmo. Ritmo. Ritmo mm-hmm.
1: is rhythm. Ritmo.
0: Okay. And I think, lastly, I am going to say... <laughs> 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 um... If you are dancing yes. for a long time, yes. let's say you're dancing all night, right? Yes. Uh, what do you call that party when you're dancing all night? I know every country has its own way of explaining what a crazy party is, right? Uh, in, in Colombia, we say, una parranda, una rumba. How would you say, how, w- this is less of a translation, more of an expression. What do you say when you are saying you're going to a, a, an all night dancing?
1: Hasta la quince. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, That's a little bit more the in, way to colo- in Colombian expressions, we would usually say, you know, ah, una rumba, una fiesta, mm-hmm. una. Una
1: fiesta, sí.
0: Oh, no, Un vamos party.
1: De pa- and we actually use the word party.
0: Party. You guys use party. We do. Party.
1: Vamos para el party. Vamos para el party de la. Vamos para el party de aquí. That's what you. You can see there the English, English influence, yeah. influence in our in our Puerto
0: culture. Rica. Yeah, party. And Nosotros Dominicans. Sí party. Dominicans also say party, right? It's, I party. Yeah.
1: But. El viernes
0: hay party. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> El party hasta la madrugada.
0: Yeah. I mean, Columbus, I know, I mean, it might be old, but Columbus would say rumba, we say. Parranda. Tuviste so parranda anoche. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, but you guys use parranda. I, I learned that now is that you guys use it yeah. more how do you use parranda
1: well we might talk a little bit more about this in another episode but parranda is a gift and it's something that is done uh, during christmas time is is a group of people that goes to the house of another person to give them the gift of music
0: which is in in american culture it's uh, christmas caroling
1: yeah, exactly. That's exactly. So
0: Christmas caroling in Puerto, in Puerto Rico is parranda. It's mm-hmm. And in Colombia, parranda, we use it to mean going out party oh, all pal night. party. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes episode six. Our next episode is episode seven titled Documented. Uh, for our talk, we're going to be talking next episode about documenting your art, uh, your life, Video through journals, um, different ways of documenting.
1: And on Culture Talk, we're gonna be talking about cliches and common misconceptions of Puerto Rican Ooh, culture.
0: I can't wait for that one. Mm-hmm.
1: I have a lot to say. Oh
0: my god, okay. So and
1: like always, oh yeah, at the end, we're gonna be <laughs>
0: hablando español at the end, yes.